Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would come now and strengthen your church. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, hearts to receive, and uh, help us to walk in the newness of life that Jesus offers us. Lord, we pray that we would see the power of prayer this morning and that we would commit ourselves um, to pray to you in every circumstance so that we might see things from your perspective and see your power at work in our lives. So we ask for your help to this end, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The last couple of months I've been really, uh, I'm a history buff, and over the last couple of months I've really been digging into World War II history, um, reading, rereading, listening, uh, watching all that I can, and and just kind of drinking it all in. And I was um, listening to someone talk about Um, Dunkirk. So if you remember Dunkirk, the Nazi army had invaded uh, France and it it had all happened so quickly and the communication had been so inept and uh, before they knew it, the the Nazi army was about to encircle um, like something like half a million British and French soldiers, predominantly British. And they end up at this little place called Dunkirk right there on the coast of uh, northwest France. And uh, it's a terrifying moment. Uh, Churchill, who's prime minister at the time, thinks hopefully, maybe, they'll get 35,000. They'll be able to evacuate 35,000 soldiers, which is less than 10% of the total number of British soldiers that's there. And on May 26, 1940, the king calls for a day of prayer. And I was listening to this person talk about Dunkirk, and he was talking about this day of prayer, and he said, doesn't that just show how up a creek Britain was. We had just absolutely run out of uh, ideas and options and equipment, and there was nothing else we could do. It was, we were so pitiful, all we could do was pray. And, and, and there's some truth in that, right, that, that something uh, extraordinary needed to happen, which if you know the story of Dunkirk, it did happen. Almost all of those soldiers were able to be evacuated. The weather was perfect in the channel for like a week straight, which never happens. There were all sorts of little turns of history that allowed this evacuation to happen. But in another sense, isn't that kind of how I live my life? Where basically when a crisis comes or when something happens, I use all my resources, all my ideas, all the people that I know. We try to solve that problem. And only when I get to the end of my rope and I have absolutely nothing left that I can co- contribute to the, to the potential solution, only then do I get on my knees and say, Lord, help me. When I ought to, from the very beginning, be bathing it all in prayer. And in every circumstance, whether bad or good or sick or health, whatever it might be, uh, that's what James is telling us. In every circumstance, we ought to be bringing our prayers to the Lord. That's the big idea this morning. We should pray in every circumstance because prayer corrects our perspective and it connects us with God's power. Prayer corrects our perspective and connects us with God's power. John Calvin said it this way. He said, there is no time, no time in your life, there is no time in which God does not invite you to himself. There's no time, no circumstance, no situation where we ought not be praying and bringing our prayers and supplications and praises to the Lord. So let's look at this together. First of all, you can see that we should pray in every circumstance because prayer corrects 
our perspective. Now, I'm using that word correct, and I, I hope it doesn't sound like too harsh of a word, but it is a deliberate choice, both because it kind of rhymes with connects, corrects, and connects. Maybe it's easier to remember for me and for you. But also, it is really a correction of our perspective, of, of how we look at our lives and how we look at situations in our lives. Prayer brings a different perspective on, first of all, suffering, James says. In verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? That word suffering is the same word he used up in verse 10 where he talks about the suffering of the prophets. And then he goes on to talk about the example of Job. It's, it's suffering from persecution to, think about the prophets, marital infidelity to calamity in the nation to famine. Think about all the things that Job experienced. I mean, literally like almost any horrible thing you can imagine Job experienced. That's all under this umbrella of suffering. Whatever your suffering is, whatever your trouble is, whatever your affliction is, James says, if you are suffering, let him pray. Let that person pray. And James, the reason I say that it's correcting our perspective is because in the book of James, James has been telling us over and over again that while our instinct is primarily and maybe even only to pray that our suffering and affliction and trials would go away, that there's something else we ought to actually be praying for in the midst of suffering and trials. So you might remember James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, brothers, when everything goes well for you. No. Count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of every kind. Blessed is the man who never has to face a trial. Nope. James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In, in the earlier verses in chapter 5, it, it's, it's emphasizing patience and steadfastness in the midst of trial. So James's perspective on sufferings and afflictions and troubles and trials is not primarily that we uh, should beg God to remove them, but that we should ask God for the strength to face them. That's why he says in chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If you're having trouble seeing it this way, if you're struggling, if you feel overwhelmed, that is, you know, your, your eyes are below the wave, so to speak, you need God's perspective to know God is still at work. He is the God who makes beauty out of ashes. He is the God who redeemed the world through the death of his son. This is how God works. It doesn't say the pain's not painful. It doesn't say the hard things aren't hard. It simply says that God is able to sustain us no matter what we face. In our hurts and our heartaches, God is the Father Almighty. He is able to sustain us. One commentator, uh, Doug Moo, a well-known New Testament commentator, he, a scholar, he wrote, The prayer believers are to offer in such circumstances not necessarily for deliverance from the trial, but for the strength to endure it faithfully. So when trouble comes, pray. Yeah, pray that, pray that God would remove it, lift it, take it away. But also pray that God would give you the spiritual wisdom and insight to see what he's doing in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the affliction, and also the strength to not abandon your faith or give up or to become hopeless or to despair, but to trust him and to continue in, in faithful obedience to him. So prayer corrects our perspective when we face suffering or trouble or affliction. But prayer also corrects our perspective when things are going well. In the second half of verse 13, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
Are things going well for you? Is your, are, are your circumstances going well? Or is, is it just that even if your circumstances are hard, your, your heart uh, is overflowing with joy and the confidence in who God is? You know, are you the person who can sing the old hymn, through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Free and changeless is his favor, all is well. Precious is the blood that healed us, perfect is the grace that sealed us. Strong the hand stretched forth to shield us, all must be well. When you're in that place, when, it, when everything's coming up millhouse, right? When everything's coming up in your way, you know, and it's just like you get four of a kind, every, every hand that you play. Um, when that's happening, what do you do? I mean, our cultural default is to say, well, I, I deserve this. I worked hard. I took the opportunity. I invested smartly. I did this. I did that. James says, you should praise God when things go well. Your life is full of gifts from him. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and there is no shadow of turning in him. We should pray when things are going well. You know, the, at least when crisis comes, it usually eventually drives us to prayer. But when things are going well, it's easy to forget to give God thanks and praise. And not just when we, I'm not primarily even talking about when we come to gather together on Sundays or in our worship, but privately, do we have that rhythm and that instinct, that reflex, that when something goes well, we say, thank you, Lord. Praise, I praise you, God. You guys know the power of gratitude? Maybe you've heard this before, but uh, psychologists have actually done studies where they've asked people in the study to keep a journal of things that they're thankful for. And here are some of the benefits for the people who kept a journal of things that they're thankful for. They have stronger immune responses. They have lower blood pressure. They sleep better and feel more refreshed. They have higher positive emotions. They're more optimistic. They're more happy, more generous, more forgiving, and more outgoing. Just on the earthly, material, physical level of recognizing the things in your life that you're thankful for. How much more then when you say to God, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength to face that trial. Thank you, Lord, for taking away that trial. Thank you, Lord. It's such a, uh, there's such a spiritual benefit when we praise God and give him thanks Do you remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, that Paul says that our first parents, Adam and Eve, though they knew God, the root of their sin was that though they knew God, they neither honored him nor what? Gave him thanks. At the root of sin is the refusal to give God thanks for who he is and all he's done. And so when we flip that and we begin to give God thanks for all that he's doing and all that he's given us, then then we are fighting that battle against sin. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your hearts, being thankful to God your Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is a connection between walking in the Spirit and being a person who's thankful. It's, I, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it's almost like dress, dress for the job you want, not the one you have, right? Like if you, if you begin to practice thankfulness, you will become a thankful person. As you begin to practice this, you will be the type of person who looks at all that's in your life and fights against your sin by saying, thank you, Lord. It changes, prayer changes, it corrects our perspective when things are going well. So prayer corrects our perspective, but that's not all James has to say, right? The thing that really stands out from this passage is the way that prayer 
connects us with God's power. You see that in ver- beginning in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church that they may pray for him. And then verse 15, um, that it will, these prayers will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. There's power in prayer. You know, it's not just that prayer changes us. Prayer changes things. It changes circumstance. God likes to hear the prayers of his people and respond with his power. It's teaching us the importance of or the, um, the power of God through prayer. Now, these people who are sick in verse 14 are those who are gravely ill, it seems like, because they have to call someone to come to come to them and pray for them. They can't go to the elders and ask for prayer. They actually have to ask the elders to come to them. And it says that the elders pray over them, which gives you that picture of that they're probably like bedridden. They are seriously, seriously ill. And even when it's like, it seems like at an earthly level, there might not be any hope. James is saying, no, through prayer, God's power can come and work in their lives. And he talks about anointing. And I think one way to think about anointing is so often an anointing uh, in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a way of setting someone apart, right? A king was anointed, the priests were anointed. Uh, when someone is anointed, they're being set apart to God. And anointing a sick person is, is, is sort of like saying, God, we're setting this person apart for your special attention, for your special fatherly, almighty care that you would bring it down in their life and in their heart. Look how James emphasizes the power of God. You know, it's not ultimately the elders. It's not ultimately the anointing. It's not even ultimately the prayer. It's ultimately the power of God. That anointing is done in the name of the Lord, verse 14. It's the Lord who will raise them up, verse 15. And this is a prayer of faith, a prayer of dependence, a prayer of trust, a prayer of believing in who God is and his character and his ability. So this all emphasizes the power of God, that when we pray, we are connecting with the power of God. Uh, there was an English Puritan named Thomas Watson. He said, even a weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. And that's what prayer is. It's us laying hold of God and saying, Lord, help us. Help this person. Help me. Help the situation. Bring your mighty power down on us. But then even as I thought about this, I thought about, well, what about all those prayers that seem, from our perspective at least, to go unanswered? You know, we've all prayed for someone who was uh, sick, and we've prayed that they would be healed and, and that they weren't in the way that we expected. And uh, we've all had those, those experiences, I think. We've had the experience of God working mightily, but what about when it, from our perspective, from our vision, doesn't seem like God worked quite as strongly? Well, it's the prayer of faith right? It's a prayer of, of trust, of dependence. And part of faith is, is admitting that you're not God. And God is, right? And so God has the prerogative of how he's going to answer our prayers. I think God answers every single one of our prayers. But he always answers what we would have prayed if we know what he knows, right? That's why we pray in the morning prayer um, service, Lord, grant these our requests as is best for us. Lord, answer my prayer as if I were omniscient, omniscient, right? Answer my prayer as if I could see the unfolding of eternity and how you're at work. Answer my prayer as is best for me. Even in the case of Elijah, you know, Elijah's not just having a bad day, and so he prays that God would close up the heavens. 
He's responding to the way that Israel has rejected God, and he is uh, in, in kind of recognizing God's desire to correct and discipline and judge Israel. That's why he prays the way that he prays. It's not that he's a sorcerer or anything like that, but the prayer of faith says, Lord, answer my prayer as is best for me. And really, no prayers go unanswered. I was thinking of my friend uh, from our previous church who was diagnosed with brain cancer. And of course, you know, we were praying. We were praying for healing. We were praying that, that chemo or radiation or, you know, uh, the trials, the thing, anything they were throwing, we were praying, Lord, you know, use it or don't use it and just miraculously heal her. You are God, the Father Almighty. We believe you can do it. And then it seemed like our prayer was unanswered because the Lord took her home. But then as I was preparing this week, I got to thinking and I thought, which is actually more miraculous? If God had zapped that cancer and let her live a couple more decades, or that while she, her body was wasting away, her spirit was being strengthened all along. And that as she was approaching death, her spirit was drawing closer, not to fear and to judgment, but to Jesus Christ. And that she was having a sweeter and deeper communion with him, which is more miraculous. I don't think God leaves any of our prayers unanswered. Prayer, it corrects our perspective. It connects God's power. We've been talking, it connects God's power with our sickness, but prayer also connects God's power with our sin. In these final verses, James turns to the question of sin. He says in verse 15, uh, as he's thinking about the person who's gravely ill, he says if, if he has sinned, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. James is recognizing that sometimes sin and sickness are intertwined with each other. Not always. It's not a word of condemnation that if you're sick or you're gravely ill, it's because you sinned. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, recognizing that humans aren't just physical, right? We're not just material. We're not just um, something that you can see and taste and touch and, and all that, right? It's not just sensory, but there's a spiritual, a real soul that we have. And our spirits and our bodies are interconnected. And so he says that along with this prayer for, for healing, we should seek forgiveness. We don't just need our bodies healed. In other words, we need our spirits healed, our souls healed. That's the deep healing that we really need. We should seek, verse 16, we should seek physical healing. We should say, Lord, heal this person. Lord, heal me. You know, I have, I have AFib, and I'm going to have to have a procedure to correct AFib. I would rather the Lord just heal it and I not have to do all that stuff, right? We should seek that. But at the same time, we should recognize that the deeper healing that we really need is not the healing of our bodies, but the healing of our spirits. And even when God heals our body, it's so that we can continue in our life to grow in faith and serve him with our energies and our motivations and our dreams. Healing is never for our own sake. Healing is so that we can continue to grow and walk with Jesus. The deeper healing we need is, is the healing of forgiveness that Jesus provides. That's why in verse 19 and 20, uh, he turns to the person who wanders from the truth. So when you pray, do you pray prayers of confession? Do you have people in your life? Like in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you have people like that in your life? 
You know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about groups. Now, maybe on the first group meeting, you're not going to just bear your soul. But the, the, the hope is, right, that you begin to enter into a communion with other people that you can bear your soul and say, I'm, this is where I continue to struggle. This is, where I, this, is, this is how sin blindsided me this week, and I, and I need your prayers. I need not only the forgiveness, but I need the healing. I need these, these temptations to be uh, taken away. James is pressing us to the deeper healing. In verse 19 and 20, the one who wanders from the truth, if, if that person is brought back, it's, he says, their soul will be saved from death. That's what we need to be focused on. It's not our physical infirmities, but our spiritual infirmities. The fact that, that we forget to thank God, and we think we're the masters of our own destiny, and we so often do what God explicitly commands us not to do, and we are really good at pointing out other people's sins and really good at justifying our own sins. There's, all of those are these, um, you know, that's the fever and, and cough and, and congestion of spiritual sickness, so to speak. The ultimate question, the crucial thing for the wandering person, for the sick person, for the healthy person, for the person who's never known Jesus, the ultimate question is what James said in the very first chapter. James chapter 1, verse 18. Have we been born again by the word of truth? Have we heard and received and been changed by the power of God through the gospel? That is the ultimate question because that's the healing we, we deeply need. We are so tainted by our sin, that everything we think and everything that we do and everything that we desire on our own, as we pray in the, in the, the morning confession, there is no health in us. There is no health in us. We needed 1 Peter, 1, or 1 Peter 2, verse 24, that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and that by his wounds we are healed. That's the deep healing. That's the power of God, not only to heal our bodies, but the power of God to heal our souls. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Do you know that power this morning? Have you received that power? Have you laid, with whatever faith you have, have you, have you laid hold of a strong Christ this morning? Because God offers us forgiveness, healing through faith. And when we confess our sins, we pray for God's forgiveness. The, the power of God through prayer is brought to bear on our sin. So as you go this week, there's so many ways that you can participate in prayer in our congregation. You know, we do morning prayer Monday through Friday over here in the transept at 9 o'clock. We have the School of Healing Prayer class that's coming up beginning in September. Uh, we have... Um, the prayers of the people in the, in the midst of the liturgy. There's just like multiple, multiple, multiple different ways to engage in prayer in, our, in, our, in the life of our church. Just, just our own prayers in, in our prayer closet at home, so to speak. We should pray in every circumstance. Pray is, prayer is a big deal. It, it corrects our vision. It helps us to see things the way God sees things. And it brings his power to bear in our life. So let, let me just exhort you this week. Pray. Don't forget the Lord. Don't wait until it's the, the, you know, the crisis at Dunkirk. Pray. Cover it all in prayer. In gratitude, pray. In sickness, pray. In health, pray. The person that you want to, your neighbor that you want to invite to Alpha, pray for them. Your, your, your child or loved one that's, that's wandered from the faith, pray for them because prayer 
corrects our perspective, and it connects us with God's power. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would pour out your power on us, that we would know deeply the power of God unto salvation in the gospel, that you would pour out your power on us, that you would strengthen, protect, heal us from our infirmities so that we might serve you more fully and grow in our faith and knowledge of you. God, we pray that through prayer you would help us to see all the many ways that you're at work in our lives, even in the midst of suffering and affliction and trouble. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as we so often, we have so many things to be grateful for. God, that we would be people who overflow with thanksgiving and praise to you. And we would experience a deeper communion with you as we seek to be people of prayer. And we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.